Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good evening. Details. It's, uh, it's great to be together. Good Friday uh, isn't that good without Sunday, but we gather on Good Friday to remember uh, we gather on Good Friday to remember the gift that Christ gave us. We, we gather on Friday to re- be reminded of his love for us and what he did on the cross for us. And, and we, we gather to remember, but I think the lyrics of that song that we just sang are, are so powerful because we also stand in awe because who loves like that? Who gives their life for someone who doesn't understand? Who gives their life for someone who doesn't appreciate it? Who gives their life in a context when nobody even knows exactly why you're doing it or what you're doing it, and yet why you're doing it? Jesus came, and he gave himself for us. And as we've looked in the Gospel of Mark, and as you read the other Gospels, we, we see that Jesus all along the way told people what was going to happen. He reminded them constantly of his mission, why he came to seek and to save the lost, to give his life as a ransom for many, that his purpose was really clear, and yet they still didn't understand. They still struggled to figure out. They still had other expectations. And yet on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was in the garden with his disciples and, and Judas had betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, for nothing, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who owns all of the cattle on a thousand hills, uh, the God who gave us breath, that God was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And the soldiers came to the garden and they arrested him. And Jesus didn't put up a fight. Uh, He didn't complain. Uh, He didn't ask for a lawyer. Uh, Jesus came because he went with them because that was his mission. That's what he came to do. And the soldiers took him and they took him before the high priests and and the council, the Jewish council, and they brought up false charges against him. They accused him of all kinds of things. The, the biggest thing that they accused himself, the, him of was to proclaim himself to a king, to be allowed, uh, to allow himself to be called a king because if you called yourself a king, then that was saying that you were rebelling against the Romans and if you rebelled against the Romans, if you called yourself a king, that means you were in direct opposition to Caesar and there's only one remedy for that in that culture and that was to be put to death and generally it was by crucifixion. And in that way, they would squelch any rebellions. They would put uh, to rest anyone that claimed to be more than they should claim to be. And so they brought these charges against Jesus. They made up charges against Jesus. Jesus was innocent of all that they claimed he had done. And yet Jesus doesn't say anything because it was his mission to come. It was his mission to give his life as a ransom for us. Uh, We were the guilty ones. We were the ones that deserved the penalty, and Jesus is standing there, the one who knew no sin, the one who came from heaven to to live among us. And they sent him out with the soldiers. They they took him to Pilate, 
Pilate interviews him. Pilate knows that he's not guilty of anything, but, but Pilate's job as sort of the Roman governor, the, the person that's put into this bleak outpost of Israel, uh, of Judea, his job was to keep insurrections from happening. His job was to keep the peace. His job was somehow to keep everybody happy or at least to keep them quiet. Uh, so he doesn't mind, it doesn't bother him that there's an unfair trial. He's not really looking for justice. He's trying to stay out of trouble with his superiors. So he allows this mockery to take place and then they, they pronounce Jesus guilty and they take him out and now the soldiers have their turn. And if you can imagine you're a Roman soldier and you're put someplace out in the middle of nowhere in this country of Judea around Jerusalem and you're irritated at the, in the first place that that's your assignment. That's not where any of the Roman soldiers wanted to go. That was kind of a penalty for a Roman soldier to get sent to Israel and, and there they are and they're already frustrated and, and the Jews drive them nuts because they're always complaining. They're always griping about something. They're always complaining about how they're being treated and what they don't have and all of those things and, and they're always worried about insurrections and rebellions and those things happen periodically and so the Roman soldiers are just automatically irritated at being at this place and their irritation and their frustration and their anger sort of boils over when Jesus is given to them and so they mock him and they make a crown of thorns and they jam it onto his head they're punishing him because they can. They're not punishing him because he's guilty. They're simply punishing him because they can, because they're frustrated with the whole thing. They don't want to be there, and all of their anger and their frustration gets poured out on Jesus. And they take a cat of nine tails, a whip, and you all know this story, and, and they beat him within an inch of his life. And this goes on all night long, He's tried, he's convicted, he's beaten, he's mocked. They put purple robes on him. They, they spit on him. They mocked him. They did everything that they possibly could to not only hurt him, but to humiliate Jesus. But they couldn't kill him right then because they weren't done yet. And, and eventually because the Passover is coming and they, they need to get all of this done before the Passover is celebrated because, celebration because the, the, the Jews were really interested, they were really committed to their rituals and their ceremonies and so let's murder this man before it gets to our Passover so we can celebrate all that God has done for us and, and all that God has given us. Let's make sure that we get this deed done before that so that we can all go home to our houses and have our meals and have our Passover celebration. And so here's Jesus, and he's been mocked and beaten and accused and convicted, and he's nearly dead already. And they give him the crossbeam of the cross, and he's to carry that. Remember earlier in Mark where, where, where Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow me. Well, that day they forced Jesus to take up his cross. But can you imagine what it was like? Can you imagine how painful and humiliating that moment is? Because he, he, they're putting this cross beam on his bloody shoulders 
and he can't even make it to the place where the crucifixion is going to take place. So we pick up the story in Mark, the 15th chapter, and in verse 21, it says that they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So Simon, this man, is in the crowd. He's watching all of this happen. Uh, they grab him out of the crowd. The Romans had the legal authority to do that. And they tell him, you, you carry the cross. Uh, he was Simon of Cyrene, is what we know. That's a place in North Africa that he had probably made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Jerusalem for the Passover. They pull him out of the crowd. They make him carry this cross beam. He takes up the cross that day. He carries it. And you know what happens to his, he and his family is that somehow they, through this whole experience, become followers of Jesus because later on they say, he is, his children are Alexander and Rufus. If you don't believe our story, go ask them. They're part of our community. In fact, uh, Rufus is mentioned in Romans, the 16th chapter, roughly around verse 33. They become followers of Jesus through this whole experience. And still Christ doesn't say anything. Well, they take him to the cross. They brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Uh, Golgotha is an Aramaic word, uh, and the Latin, uh, the, the Latin equivalent is a word Calvaria. And in English, it's Calvary. That Golgotha means the skull. And Jerome, a fourth century historian, uh, he believed that it got its name because of all of the skulls that were scattered all over this hill because of prior executions. And, they, and it got its name, the skull, because of that. And they take Jesus up there and they place him on the cross. Some of the other Gospels give us more information. But in verse 23, it says this, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Jesus refused to be drugged. Myrrh uh, had medicinal properties, but it was also used as a drug. It was also it could be used as a painkiller. They tried to give it to him, but he wanted to be clear-headed because he was on a mission. And we have statements that he made. In fact, there's one, one of my favorite places in all of the Bible is in the Gospel of John and Jesus is on the cross and he looks down from the cross. He refused to take the drugs. He refused all of that. He wanted to be clear-headed to, to fulfill the mission that he had come to accomplish and he looks down from the cross and he sees his mom. And he sees his mom and he looks at John who called himself the one who Jesus loved, the beloved. And he looks down and he says, from now on, she's your mom. You're going to need to take care of her. Can, can you imagine the presence of mind to take care of that while you're on the cross? After you've been beaten, after you've not slept for 24 hours, after you're nearly dead, and still you look down and you say, I need you to take care of her from now on. And Mary... He's your son now. He's going to watch after you. Jesus made these sayings on the cross because he was on a mission for us. And in verse 24, it says, And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. The soldiers at the cross, they took his clothes and they, they wagered on them who was going to get his clothes. 
And it was the third hour when they crucified Jesus and the inscription of the the charge against him said, the king of the Jews. And and one of the traditions that they had is when there was a crucifixion, they'd always nail a sign at the top of the cross that stated the crime that had been committed. So everybody would know that this is what this person is accused of. This is what what they've been, uh, said that they've been done, that they've done, and that their crime is placed on the cross and what they put on the cross of Jesus as king of the Jews. And they didn't know it was really true. They thought they were being funny. They thought they were being mocked because uh, they were mocking Jesus because that was the thing he was being crucified for, for, for rebelling against Rome, for putting himself above the Caesar. And they thought this would be fun. This will be funny. Let's put it up. Let's put king of the Jews up there. But what they didn't understand is that he was the king of a different kingdom. That he really was the king of the Jews. He's the king of the world, of the universe, the king of creation. And he was on a mission for us. And they crucified him with two robbers, one on his right and and one on his left. And most of you, again, know the story. In one of the Gospels, it tells us that, that one of the thieves mocked him and said, hey, get out and take us with you. And the other one said, don't you know who this is? And, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And we know the story. But let me remind you that these were bad guys. You, you, didn't, you didn't get put on a, a cross for pickpocketing, right? You didn't get put on a cross for jaywalking, you, you, were, you, were a, you were a murderer. You were an insurrectionist. You were a, a horrible thief who took lives. You were a really bad person, and they were on either side of Jesus that day on the cross. He was in the middle of the worst of the worst. The Son of God who knew no sin was right in the middle of the worst that the world had to offer, and he gave himself for them too. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, we got you, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross, and and so also the chief priests and the scribes and the religious leaders mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, he can't save himself, let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe, and they all made fun of him, they all crucified him, they all, they all, mocked him. Jesus on the cross. Jesus the crucified one. In verse 33 it says, and when the sixth hour had come and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour and in the ninth hour Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sakbakithani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What an interesting thing to say. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, my hands are killing me. He didn't say, my feet have been nailed to the cross. He didn't say any of those things. It wasn't about that. It was about this, that the Son of God, for the first time in eternity, knew what it meant to be separated from the Father. Knew what it meant to be apart from him. Knew what it meant to be lost. And that was the agony of that day. That that agony overwhelmed the agony of the moment, of the cross. It wasn't the nails in his hands. It wasn't the nails in his feet. It was the fact that he was separated from the God who he had spent eternity with. 
God the Father. The Holy Trinity is separated in this moment. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see if whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and he breathed his last. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he, that he, in the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Truly this man was the son of God. It is so interesting to me that the one person that day who recognized who he was was a Roman centurion. If, if you were a Roman centurion in those days, you, you made your reputation by killing people. You made your reputation in war. And this is a hardened veteran of the Roman army. And when he saw what happened, when he saw the sky turn black, when he saw Christ on the cross and heard what he said and saw how he died, he looked up at him and said, surely he was who he said he was. Surely this man is the son of God. He's the one guy that got it. The one guy that understood who Jesus was that day recognizing Jesus the Christ, the God of the universe, the Holy One. You know, it's really interesting for us because Jesus utters this loud cry. Now, in, in the Gospel of John, we, 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 uh, it's written for us what he cried. He cried, it is finished. The mission that I came for, I've accomplished what the Father sent me to do. I am giving my life as a ransom I'm giving myself up for a world that's in rebellion, for a world that's lost. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And in Romans 3, verses 22 to 25, he says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For all have sinned. Do you ever get tired of watching the news? Do you ever just get so tired of how mean people can be? Uh, How brutal people can be, uh, how vindictive people can be, how they can be so angry, and sometimes you just stop and think, what is wrong with this world? It, it is just falling apart. You know, what's interesting is that every generation feels like that the, the ones below them are, you know, kind of destroying it, and, and, and yet I was reminded by my sons last week that we raised them and so we're, we're a little bit culpable in this, but it's, it's in every generation. Uh, every generation looks at this and says, what's happening to the world? And, and yet, if I'm really honest with myself, if I really take a good look at my life and, and I read these verses that we've just read, I'm reminded that I've sinned. Romans tells us that all of us have sinned. None of us get a buy on this. Uh, None of us are perfect. None of us get it right 
every time, that, that we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short, that we've all missed the mark, and I am capable of incredible selfishness and bitterness and anger, and I can't fix that on my own. I can't do anything about that. I can't live a good enough life to be right with a, with a glorious, perfect God. And I am separated from him unless he does something for me. That's why we talk so often here about the difference between Christianity and religion. That religion is man reaching up, trying to get to God, and Christianity is God reaching down for us. That's what Jesus did. He came, he showed us how to live, he died for us, he rose again. And we can only understand the cross when we understand our own hearts. When we come face to face with our own sin, with our own separation, with our own selfishness, with our own inability to live a perfect life on our own, when we get really honest with ourselves and we look at our hearts and we take a really good look at who we are on the inside, we know that we have fallen short of God's perfect plan for our lives. And we need his help. We need his redemption. We need his love in our lives. You know, the crowd thought that the soldiers were nailing Jesus' hands to the cross to secure them there, to secure them to the cross. And they were only half right because, but between his hand and the wood, there was a list. And it was a large list and a list of our mistakes, our lies, our lusts, our greedy moments, but words can't be, the words can't be seen, the letters can't be understood because they are covered with his blood that he was nailed to the cross for the forgiveness of our sin. They spit on him, they placed a crown of thorns on his head, but Jesus took the nails. The nails were especially for us. The sacrifice had to be made. The wages of our sin had to be paid. And Jesus took that for us. But, but he doesn't finish there. It doesn't, the story doesn't end there. God's story in our lives doesn't end here. Sunday's coming. The resurrection is around the corner. But tonight we remember. We remember our sin. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We remember what he did on the cross for us. We remember just how beautifully and extravagantly God loves us. And we've been given this tool, we've been given this gift to remember that, that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. And at the end of their meal, it says that he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my body, which has been beaten and mocked and nailed to a cross for you. And he said, whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. Remember how loved you are. Remember his grace in your lives. Remember the goodness of Jesus and be reminded that without him, there is no hope for our separation from God, that he gave everything for us. And the story is that in this as Jesus continues in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my new covenant. This is, symbolizes my blood that's shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And he said, whenever you 
eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Do it in remembrance of me. And then he gave this promise that we should never, ever forget. Jesus finished all of that and he said, until I return, I'm coming back. We have that promise that he finished the mission, he gave his life for us, and then he's coming back. So we're gonna share in the Lord's Supper tonight as part of our remembrance of what he's done. And here's what we're gonna do. We, um, we recognize that, that we come from all different kinds of faith traditions. We come from all different kinds of backgrounds, and, and so often, most, most of the time, we use the little wafers and, and the cup, and we pass those out, and we share the Lord's Supper, but, but sometimes we have you come to stations, and, and you go to the stations, and then you get the cup and the wafer and, and share in the Lord's Supper, but tonight, we want to do a couple of things. There, there, is, there are trays for you if you prefer that with uh, a wafer and, and the cup, and you can take that and, and uh, when you're ready. Uh, partake of those things, but there's also bread at these four stations around the building, and you can take a piece of the bread, and there'll be a, somebody from our team uh, at each station, and you can dip the bread uh, into the cup, and they will, uh, they will share communion with you as a remembrance of the body and the blood of Jesus that was shed for us and given for us. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had broken, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup, and he said, this represents my new covenant. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me until I return. The guys are going to play. Go when you're ready. But remember. Remember the gift that Jesus gave us. Remember how loved, how extravagantly loved you are. And let's share in the Lord's Supper together. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this moment that we get to remember. Thank you, Lord, for ordaining this, this sacrament for us, that, that we can regularly be reminded of how much you love us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this gift. And Lord, open our hearts and our minds that, that we might really understand what you've done for us. That, that, the, that the, the sin in our lives, the separation in our lives, the, the angst, the loneliness, the lostness, whatever it is that we feel, Lord, that you are ready to fill that in our lives today, Lord. So we come to you with grateful hearts, remembering what you've done and giving you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe one of the great lessons from the cross is to be reminded that we have a good, good father. And that's who he is. That Jesus is faithful, not, not because we deserve it, but because that's who he is. And we are loved, and that's who we are. And it's not based on our ability to please God. It's not based on anything that we have done or accomplished, but it's God's nature that he loves us. And we're reminded in Romans that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave himself for us. And, and I want to just finish the story a little bit tonight because uh, there's this little part that's so important for us that in verse 42 of 
Mark, the 15th chapter, it says, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, a leader in the temple, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died and summoning the centurion he asked him whether he was already dead and when he learned from the centurion that he was dead he granted the corpse to Joseph and Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb Joseph of Arimathea took incredible risk. He showed immense courage that day to say, I want to take the body of Jesus because I've been looking for the kingdom of God. And, and there is still something about Jesus that's holy, that is right. And, and Pilate granted him that. You know, Joseph of Arimathea would have been ostracized in the temple for, for doing this. There was great cost in his life for doing this. And he took the body of Jesus and he laid it in a tomb, but because of the hour, he didn't have time to do all of the ritual things that they did for burial. Uh, they didn't have time to prepare him completely for burial. He bought a shroud and he, he wrapped him in it. He took him to his very own tomb that he'd had hewn out of the rock and he placed him in there and he had a, a, a rock that was rolled in front of the tomb and he left him there. And here's the last verse. In verse 47, it says, And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. That there were some women who followed the procession. There were some women who were watching at the cross. And that day, after all of this happened, when the disciples had fled and everyone else is hiding, and Joseph of Arimathea, somebody that nobody would have expected, took Jesus' body, took responsibility for it. Somebody needed to do something, or he would have just been thrown in a, a common grave. Uh, Joseph did that, and there were some ladies that were following behind. And they followed to see where Jesus was being laid because they were going to come back. They were going to finish the job somehow. So they knew exactly where Jesus was buried. They knew exactly where the tomb was. They planned this out so that they could come back later and finish the job of preparing him for burial. <laughs> Pay attention to that verse. It's really important because Sunday, we're going to start right there. Because on Sunday, they're going to go back to that place that they knew that place that they saw Christ being placed. But it isn't going to be what they expected. It's going to be completely different. They scoped it out so they could come back and pre finish preparing Jesus for burial. They weren't, going to come, they weren't planning on coming back to see a resurrection. They were coming back to care for the dead body of Jesus. They were coming back to finish the job, but they are going to be firsthand witnesses to the greatest miracle in the history of the world, what scholars and historians over the centuries have called the hinge of history. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, 
and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Have you ever seen a highlight film? The end of the season, they show all the best highlights. So I have a little highlight film for you. You know, early in the Gospel of Mark, a leper comes and he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, if you will, will you cleanse me? And Jesus reaches out and touches him. And you know, as I flash back on that, sometimes I feel like a leper, that I feel like my sin has separated me, that, my, that I'm an outcast, that I don't belong anywhere, that not worthy of anything, and yet Jesus is willing to touch me. And then there was a man who was blind, and he couldn't see anything, and he was a, a beggar. He had no money. He had nothing. And, and Jesus spit on the ground. He made some mud. He put it in his eyes, and he healed him, and he could see. And sometimes I feel like in my life that I can't see, that I have blind spots, that I don't really know where I'm going. I don't have the right direction. I'm completely blind to what's going on around me. And Jesus says, I will touch you and I'll help you see. And then there was the guy that was paralyzed and he couldn't do anything and his friends lower him through the roof to the feet of Jesus and Jesus looks at him and he says, my son, your sins are forgiven and all these guys are going, no, you missed the point, Jesus. He can't sin. He can't move. But Jesus knows that sin is in our hearts. What separates us from God is in our hearts and in our minds. And that day, he, he not only healed him of his sin, but he healed him in his body, and the man got up, and he, and he walked out, and, and we look at that, and if you go through the Gospel of Mark again, you see this highlight reel of how Jesus touched people, how he loved them, how he met them at the point of their need, and he healed them all, and he's here to heal us, and the cross is Jesus saying that, that I love you, and I am here to heal what's broken in your heart. I'm here to heal what's broken in your life. And I've finished the job. It is finished. And now we get to come back Sunday, and I hope that you'll all join us because we're going to celebrate the hinge of history, the greatest story the world has ever heard, the most important event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So will you be here with us? Thank you. I love you guys. God bless. Have a great evening. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.